0: Jessica, you noticed that when you. So, so good teachers, even the parents, you know, they call them by their formal teaching name. And uh, our, our youngest daughter, Shiloh, is a very big fan of yours. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you very much. And um, she always felt very confident in your class and uh, creative. Hello. And her full plucky self was uh, given license and not suppressed you know sometimes that happens right sometimes we don't always know what to do with kids who have you know a lot to say <laughs> and so i appreciate that you gave her room uh, to to be who she is and who she's looking. so thank you very much um, so this will be a continuation of our time together this morning, y'all. Ignore that. I'm not going to show you anything on the screen. You can just meditate on the wheels. As a matter of, fact, we're, matter of fact, we're going to start with some meditation, if you don't mind. This just helps my brain to get it together. I will tell you this. Full disclosure, I don't, I don't have COVID currently, but I do have some long-term COVID symptoms. And, um, and um, I say that for you to give me empathy. Um, but, but, but also, uh, that it's like, it's a real thing. It's a thing, y'all. It's a thing. And, uh, my primary symptoms are things like brain fog and just real shoddy memory. And, um, and it's, it's getting better. But it's like having a concussion. You played sports and you had a concussion before. That's, that is what it feels like. Um, and so, uh. My spiritual disciplines and my mental health disciplines have become really, really important to me. Like, yeah. critical. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure if I wasn't doing like an early, I do an early morning 6 a.m. prayer with a group of people around the country. If I wasn't doing that every day, I my brain would be like mush right now. Because prayer and meditation actually have all kinds of regenerative, reparative functions to um, our neurological system. And so, um, not only because God commands us to pray, right? Um, but also, there's there's some good science behind it. So if you don't mind, I'd like to invite us in just to a moment of mindfulness meditation. This is also an academic best practice uh, from terms of pedagogy uh, that helps students reduce their... their um, it helps them to, to be able to emotionally regulate, develop a stronger sense of self, be able to self-manage and self-soothe, increases their attention span in the classroom. Um, and so... Um, while, while you may not start your class with prayer, or maybe you do start classes with prayer, I would encourage you to start it with also meditation. Meditation. Being in the present moment and mindfully being attentive to just one thing, which we are never mindfully attentive to just one thing. So I invite you to that now with me. If you would, you can close your eyes. For most of you, that's all I can see anyway, <laughs> your eyes. And I want you to take a d- deep breath, a breath that is so deep that it would, it would be a little awkward, like the guy who was next to me on the flight that was snoring real hard, y'all, real hard today. I want you to hear the breath because I want you to remind yourself that it's there. I want you to feel the breath. Can you feel it in your lower abdomen? Feel it in your chest as it expands. Feel it in your shoulders as it lifts up and down. Maybe you can feel the breath moving through your nostrils. Trace the breath, why don't you? Imagine it has a starting point. Follow it with your mind's eye. Through its nourishing journey. For some of us it's helpful to think about adding some color. My favorite color is orange. And so sometimes I imagine that there is almost an orange ribbon that is moving in and out, almost like with a breeze. It's okay that while you're breathing, it's likely that some thoughts, some feelings, or some emotions may knock the front door or back door of your brain. It's okay. It could be a feeling or a sensation in your body, tension or tightness. It could be an emergency um, that's not even really happening, but this your heart feels like you want something. You're ready to go. Uh, It it could be um, a memory tapping you on the shoulder. Could be your expectations. Could be your negative self-talk. Whatever it is, open the door. Greet it. Huh, you're there. Let it know that you're doing something else at the moment and you'll get back to it. Shut your door and return back to your deep breathing. Each breath for each moment. In the present moment. Being still. Not fixing, not tweaking, not adjusting, not expecting. Just being. And in your brain, I ask you to receive these words as maybe a balm to your soul. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path as sure as this present moment. Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Deep breath in, slow breath out. Attend, attend, present moment. And I'll count you down from 10 to 1. And as we get closer to the number 1, I want you to start taking in the sounds and the feeling and the temperature of this room. And you'll open your eyes at the 1. 10. 9. Breathing in, breathing out. 7. 6. 5. four, three, two, one. Welcome back. Welcome. So we're going to spend some time today having a conversation, because y'all have already heard me talk, y'all, and you know my agenda, Um, (laughs) so now we'll figure out yours. And um, but before we move into just some of the content oh, why don't you tell me what that experience was like and if you do any mindfulness meditation practices in your actual class not a trick question you're going to talk today mm-hmm. <laughs> what was that like? hello I'm, um, I'm a yoga teacher as well Yes. So I was like, yeah, "We're going meditation." I was like, oh, yay!
1: Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> very often um, within the Christian environment,
0: like, there's a lot of misunderstanding about meditation and yoga, and there's an assumption that it has to be that like a doorway into things other than Christianity. Oh. So I really much appreciated that because I'm in meditation. Um, when I was a meditation. and my kiddos, I, I teach first grade,
2: and I have found it very effective when they are like, really emotional mm-hmm. to bring the breath in. Yeah. and they like, can't control their own breathing when they're
1: crying, right? They're just heaving so hard and so I'll just place my hand on their back and just, hey, why don't you know, really try to
2: breathe in yeah. the entire time my hand goes up your back and breathe out the entire time it goes down and then they can calm down mm-hmm. so much faster and then they can actually express
1: to
0: me what's going on so i found this to be incredibly effective with my first graders Yeah, yeah. Uh, Irene Craigle, one of my old colleagues has a book called The Mind for Christian mm-hmm. You should check it out Uh, So the the breath is the thing, is the God-given gift that unites us from being but dust into being humanity. It's literally what God gives to dust to make it human. So I get why people have beef about all kinds of things, but we should probably breathe a little bit more. We can remember our humanity and the humanity of our neighbors. Which is another one of those benefits of mindfulness meditation is it actually reduces bias. Mm. At least immediately does in the research. You know, if you do an immediate bias test, it, it, it turns down the impulse to act out our negative implicit biases, stereotypes about others. Look at that. Look at what being still will give you. I remind you that everybody is worthy of love. Um, anybody else? You didn't have to like it. <laughs> so I'm actually, I do a lot of breathing. Yeah. And I've actually never done it with my students. And so um, what it does for
1: me, I want it, I want them to experience it as well. Yeah. So I think I'm just going to commit to, you
0: know, the first few minutes we're just going to breathe. Yeah. Why do you think it. you've never done it before? I just haven't. Yeah. You know, I just haven't bridged the gap between mm-hmm. my own personal practices and my classroom. Mm-hmm. And it helps me so much.
2: So I'm like, why wouldn't I do that with my students?
0: Yeah. It'll be good to find the language to understand it based the point. What's your name? Annalise. Annalise? But mm-hmm. that Annalise just raised. So there are people who have all kinds of convictions and understandings, right? And so we want to be mindful and sensitive of what of the conversations that may come and how to how best frame that so that it's an invitation and not an invitation to a fight, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we don't need any more fighting. <laughs> um, anybody else? Anybody else didn't like it? Like, this was like, you know, what are you doing with my time? It's precious. You could tell me. I know I'm in West Michigan where the culture is very nice. <laughs> but, um, Which is not the same as kind, by the way. Nice <laughs> and kind are the same thing. i not I feel bad stuff and I didn't like it until you said, you're going to have stuff knocking at the door, right? Because I just can't. Like, I'm, I'm always an
1: internal processor, and it's going and it's going. Yeah. So when I think,
2: so,
1: oh yeah, I'm going to sit quiet for a minute. <laughs>
0: Just to, to let in, say hey. Just you know, wait hey. a Yes. Awesome. So I say that to people um, because, um, especially, especially teacher types. Um, you know, teacher types are necessarily perfectionistic, but mm, uh, <laughs> they can uh, be very evaluative people yeah. and self-evaluative. It's not like they're, all, they're just dishing out the grades. Like, they're grading themselves, too. Um, and it's a group that I think needs a lot of self-compassion, you know, as is all the people. But
2: mm-hmm.
0: And so I, I, I remind people of that because if you're self-evaluative, you might think I'm not doing breathing right, like something's wrong with my breathing. I'm giving myself a bad grade in breathing. breathing. <laughs> so I try, to, I, try to, I try to quickly get there. To tell people that you're actually not giving yourself a grade. And how lovely is it to shape a classroom where people can be? To be and not think about the evaluative moment, which is a part of the process in in many academic spaces, but um, it really is an invitation to build community with students, especially young students, and to build emotional self-regulation too. Okay, thank you for telling the truth, the whole truth. We can handle it. So um, I I typically start from an appreciative vantage point. You know what I mean by that. Like, you know, what's the good stuff? What's the good stuff that's working out here, right? Um, At least I think I do. Um, I try to be positive. Um, But I want to actually start today as we have this conversation about um, the agenda of love in the midst of a polarized uh, context in the nation. And um, I want to start with what I think is underneath the polarization. And maybe is what is underneath our polarization, and our angst, and our exhaustion, which is fear. So some theologians might propose that fear is underneath every expression of sin. The fear of missing out, the fear of not being seen, the fear of not having enough, the fear of not being accepted, the fear of not being satisfied, the fear of not being self-soothed, and then the ways that we medicate that. Think about the original sin. <coughs> Does this God know something that God is trying to keep away from me? Fear. paranoia, And so sometimes when we say our fears, it can, um, it's not to give the fears glory, but it's also to set us up to know how to resist living into them and to choose love over fear. And so I want you to take a moment to do that. You've already had this mindfulness meditation moment. You feel good. you loose, you lose. you loose. Um, and I want you to take a moment, if you would, if you got paper and pen, and of course most of you do because, you know, y'all (laughs) teachers. okay stay ready Um, and I want you to write down as you think about your profession your profession and this may all be implicit but I want you to pull it to the front of your mind make it explicit to you because even our implicit fears we act on them we govern our lives by implicit fears all the time but we don't name them so then we can't do anything about it so they just beat us up so I want you to pull it from the back of where it might be implicit to the front where it's explicit, and I want you to write them down, just for you and Jesus to see the list, okay? <laughs> if you want to share out at some point, you can, but really, it's just for you and Jesus to see this list. I want you to name your fears as it relates to your profession, as it relates to your profession in this present moment. What, what's got you worried? What's got you worried? What's got you afraid? I don't want you to judge. I'll do the same thing. Um, what, what's your name? Abby. Abby. So remember, Abby, how I, how I said, you know, you'll get something that knocks at your door. Right now, some of you are having something that knocks at your door, which is that you might have, a, a, you may have had a theological belief about fear and like what kind of Christians fear. Like, bad Christians fear. So you may not even want to play this game with me. <laughs> okay? Um, and so I don't want you to think about yourself as, as a bad Christian or a good Christian, I want you to think about yourself as one who's entrusted yourself to Jesus and you are where you are. Um, and we cast all of our cares on the Lord. Another word for our cares are our worries and our fears. Okay? So I want to I give you some help <laughs> mentally so you can play along with me. You won't psych yourself out, okay? So go ahead and write down those cares, those worries, those fears, those burdens. As you think about your profession, what's causing that tension in your back, your neck, your chest? sometimes, as you're writing your list, you can listen in. Polarization sometimes is our attempt to tend to and respond to social fears. We're looking for something clear. Because we think that clarity will save us. <laughs> and so when people present us with polls that seem real clean cut, like it's either this or it's that, I kind of was thinking. Black or white. Two can never meet who can't even understand each other. Um, There's an illusion of safety in that. There's an illusion of safety in that. There's an illusion of safety in knowing the answers or thinking you know the answers. So what is worrying you? What are your biggest worries as a teacher right now? And if you would, and I have a feeling somebody is willing to share, I believe it. They're in the room. Let's get three people. Go for it.
1: So not having control over my classroom, teach middle school. Um, <laughs> not doing a good job or being good enough. Uh, leading the kids in the wrong way or like to the wrong direction, wrong path. And being able to get it all done and still have time for my family and myself.
0: You have a lot of people are nodding their heads as you're talking. Mm-hmm. That resonates. Yes. What's your name? Kelsey. 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 <clears throat> she chased well one. All right. Um, of not being liked. Of not having all the answers. Of not being prepared. Of not meeting the standards I set for myself. Of not making a difference. Of having the wrong answer. Okay, Kelsey, like, that sounds so heavy. <laughs> I almost started to cry. I did. When you, the very first thing you said, it made me really sad. <laughs> it did. It hit, me, it hit me hard. I was like, oh, what a burden to carry about how other people think about us. Oh, it's a heavy burden. Yes, what's your name? Mark. Hey, Mark.
1: That in um, speaking in my class, students administrators or parents will think I'm being
2: political. And
0: uh, well, you probably are Mark. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 you, but you mean partisan. Right. Okay. Right. Yes. They <laughs> yeah, think being partisan. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At this point I don't think it's anything worth saying unless it's got a little bit of a little political edge to it actually. Um, I'll let you know my bias on this. I'll show you my cards. Um, yeah, like you know, uh, everyone is a political being. Even the people who have the luxury of saying, "Like I don't really do politics." Man, that's sweet. <laughs> what a love and privilege. Because <laughs> politics definitely has something to say to me <laughs> in my life. <laughs> but I hear you. I hear you. So I live in Nashville. As y'all heard me say, and I'm gonna use y'all a lot. And um, outside of Nashville is uh, what, like, is Williamson County, and Williamson County has been on the national news a lot as of late uh, because whenever they want to show like parents at a town hall losing their minds, they go <laughs> Williamson County, and uh, it's 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 one of the most affluent counties in the country. Um, Largely homogenous, so largely uh, white, uh, politically conservative, self identified as Christian. I taught my first year in Wilmington County.
1: Yeah, do I got it
0: right? Oh, 100%. Thank you. Testify. I don't want to be a liar. I don't want to be a liar. Sometimes we can fall into being a liar. We don't even know it. I don't want to be a liar, okay? Um, Yeah, and so, woo wee. They are fired up down there. Fired up. uh, to the point where we got we have people like chasing people to their cars. Coming kind to of the point that you just raised. Um, history teachers, uh, English teachers, not, not teaching books that would have been like, you know, best practice text. Because they say things about history, which necessarily say something about the present, that we don't want to hear. Um that's hard. That's hard. That's hard. Okay. Anybody else? Yes. Ms. Jessica. I would say um,
1: just the word, like, keeping kids safe in so many ways. Mm. So, like, creating a safe space for their minds to be cultivated and for their, you know, their hearts to be felt, you know, and heard. But I think also in today's day and age, we'd be lying if we weren't trying to keep our kids safe and healthy, too.
2: hmm.
1: You know, and all
0: the things that come with that. Yeah. Um, when you when you when you say keeping a child safe, what what comes to your mind? What comes to other people's mind as as teachers in the classroom? What are the safety things that just pop into your head? Yes.
1: The first thing that came to my mind was preparing for
2: you know uh, an active shooter girl. Yes.
0: Yes. And
2: where we hide.
0: And where do we hide? That is frightening. That is frightening. Anybody else? Keeping kids safe. What comes to your mind? I think about like online stuff. Oh my! It's wild out here on the on the internet, y'all. <laughs> it's my, my my 15 year old keeps me hip. She, uh, she lets me know what's happening in the world of TikTok, and I'm so glad she at least talks to me about these things. Uh, although sometimes I'm like, I think you were telling me too much. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, you want to talk about some serious temptations and access and exposure. Um, yeah. Did you have your hand going, through?
2: Um I think um, just a mental emotional. I think, with everything going on in today's world being polarized, but also the fact of coming off the hills of COVID, Mm-hmm. how our young students have been affected or be, will be impacted that i think we can see some of that aftermath. so just yeah. take taking those checks and make sure they're mental and their emotional yeah. and are stable yep
0: we had a whole generation so when i was teaching college i was teaching the students who were who were would have been deeply impacted by the post 9 11 generation <clears throat> all of what that what that means meant to them and how they were shaped and reshaped by it um i as, I, growing up, the, the, the big national tragedy that I first remembered was the Challenger explosion. That was pretty like, I was like, oh, Lord. people. I mean, I, I mean it blew my mind that uh, something so amazing and exciting could end like that. Talk about anxiety producing. Um, the other thing that happened uh, that I saw that was pivotal in shaping who I was as a small kid was uh, the Rodney King beating, mm. and watching that footage on TV over yeah. and over <laughs> and over again uh, was very painful to see as a small child. Um, those things, those things shape us, you know. So those are the fears. Anybody else have others? that they want to add? Anything not said that you want to put in the room?
1: Distrust.
0: Distrust of?
1: School, institution, (laughs) me as a teacher, the whole thing.
0: Yes. Anti-institution.
1: Christian schools, you said, were a thing
0: and it's changing. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 What does it mean to, to stand up before people and to know that you're working from a deficit of trust? not even that you're like trying to grow trust, but you're already in the negative when you first speak. What do you feel in the room right now? Vulnerable. Yes, vulnerable. Anybody else, what do you feel? Community intensity. Intensity. Intensity, yes. Good. Community. Community, Community. <laughs> yeah, you're not alone. Yeah, You're not crazy, you're not making it up, mm-hmm. either, yeah. right? But it's intense, feels vulnerable. Can you say more about the vulnerability piece? All right. Oh, oh, All right. it's almost like voices are being thrown yeah. ass. Right. I'm like, who is um, talking? So I'm an administrator
1: And
0: What's your name? Nate.
2: Hey, Nate. Hey, how are you? Um, <laughs>
1: I've learned in my experience that uh, to build to build trust uh, you first have to listen to one another um, I just spent time this week teaching kids about empathy mm. That's um, important. and uh, to seek into something um, and, and really talk about you know, I need to shut up first and hear others first um, because then that builds trust which is as, uh, as a principal really builds that community because then you know you're walking into that somebody's gonna have my back or I'm gonna listen to. So mm-hmm. for me, vulnerability is not negative, mm-hmm. it's humane mm-hmm. and upfront to say, I understand what you're going through. So it's moving from sympathy to the empathetic, mm-hmm. which is a, and it's okay to be uncomfortable and to say that. Mm-hmm. Somebody, especially kids. I have a ten-year-old, and he, when he mentioned uh, anxiety mm-hmm. with COVID, um, his anxiety is on masks and people not wearing masks. Mm-hmm. So you can see his anxiety shoot up when he goes into a space and not everybody's compliant.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But then to say to him, I understand what you're going through, mm-hmm. and to name it and, and to go through it, and it really. Um, start out at that, that point. So I appreciate your approach to
0: this whole thing, because it gets us all on the same level. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Nate. Appreciate that. And I also appreciate your sensitivity towards your son. My, when I get out of the car, my youngest daughter is like, uh, where are you going without this mess?" <laughs> <laughs> She's on it. Where is there other people who are just the opposite? They're like, what is that? Like, enough, enough, right? So people could find themselves in very different places, right? Um, But I think the root of that, the heart of that, is I want to protect you. And this is what love looks like to me. This is what love looks like to me. I think that's an empathetic lens in which to understand our neighbors, even if we don't agree with them, is that they are managing their fears, and they're trying to figure out a way to move forward about what does love look like for them um, in this difficult season. What should we do with these fears that are in the room? About, um, I think about the fact that the disciples were fishermen, and um, this may not be what is implied by that text at all, by the way. Welcome to Proof Texting. Um, but I do think about the fact that, they were just, that many of them were fishermen, and I grew up in, on the East Coast where near the Chesapeake Bay, and I have memories of my father taking me crabbing. I love a good crab. I had crabbing last night, y'all, There, in North Carolina. And anyway, and uh, throwing down that big old net and you know, crabs getting in there. Very exciting if you're a little kid. Um, Or just taking us out fishing. Like one time my uncles went out fishing and they brought back like a a hundred fish. It was like, it was like magical, it was magical. Um, But I think about like casting a line. Like, like, like. That's what I think about. Casting my care. And um, uh, my husband was talking about this just last week about uh, we live in a neighborhood uh, subdivision that was being built as we moved into it over a year ago. And the addresses are a little off with Amazon, Mm -hmm. which means like every other day we get someone someone else's stuff. We get somebody else's stuff. Somebody else's stuff comes to our house. Um, and, and there's some different attitudes in my neighborhood some people come and act, and act as if I took their stuff I'm like come on y'all Amazon there. Okay. they're like you have my stuff I'm like I need to go outside my front door today um, but there are times when we get out there and we see the box and it's for the house that's four doors down, five doors down so we get the box, we walk it down the street and we put it right in front of the house and that's another image I have about what it means to cast my cares because I am um, because I am in communion with Christ because Christ has made an exchange of our yokes, and His is easy. Uh, every burden, every fear that I have, every trauma that I have, is not mine alone. It is Christ's. And so, those packages, when they come to me, I look at that address, I'm like, oh no, this belongs four doors down. <laughs> this belongs at Jesus' door. So, maybe the next time you try a mindfulness meditation activity on your own, And for those who already do it, maybe you can add that imagery to your thoughts as you take deep breaths. Imagine the box coming. Worries, burdens, uncertainties. It came to your door. It's there. And it's heavy. But imagine walking it down to the door of the one who has promised to handle it. Maybe you can do that even just for 30 seconds right now. Everything on your list, in a box. Lift it up. Feel the weight in your hands. Play along, y'all. Y'all teach it. Y'all make excuses all the time. Play along. Feel the weight. Walk it up, down. The one who can handle it. So we have to be really intentional about casting our cares acknowledging our fears, saying them out loud, because if we don't, they will govern us without us having any control about what to do next or how it's actually governing us. Go for
2: it. And in terms of of those fears, um, you just stated, like, first acknowledging those and and being able to understand, like, this is a fear that I I grapple with. Mm -hmm. Um, But after you acknowledge that fear, then are you saying we should move on and pass that?
0: Well, the fear part of it. Now, some pieces of it might be your work to do. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 usually when I come into places to speak, I'm, I'm usually speaking on issues of anti-racism. And um, the cares of that are the burden, the exhaustion, the weightiness. But there's still work to be done. There's still truth to be told. There's still policies to change. There's still justice to uh, work towards and unpack. But if I don't do something with the toxicity, if I don't cast some of that, oh then I'll be sick. You know, I'll be pretty sick. Um, and it will clog my ability to, to humanize myself and to humanize others. So I'm glad you looked that up. The the, the emotional burden of some of those things. The assignment still might be ours to work on. You still got to stand in front of your students. You're not casting away your job, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But we are surrendering over some of the weightiness and the contamination and the parts that we can't fix on our own uh, to a God who has all power and love. Does that make sense? OK. So, so we have a polarized nation for a whole host of reasons. One is fear. Uh, the, the other reason why is because uh, our political climate is set up with the illusion of there being two sides. And it indeed is an illusion. <laughs> it's, uh, our two-party system, let's talk directly about politics, American politics, further adds to the polarization dynamic, okay? And then it creates a cluster of categories that allegedly fit together, <laughs> sometimes don't, but allegedly fit together on a menu uh, that people find themselves moving towards. And when you move towards that poll, you've got to take everything else that's on that menu too. You just take it. That's kind of how we're rolling. Now there are other democracies around the world that are set up a little bit, that are set up differently than that. Right? Um, but this is certainly one of the features of what we have operating here in the states this checklist of what it means to be at this poll versus that poll and really being forced to take everything that's in that bucket on each side along with that uh, in order to ensure uh, political power for each of the polls um, there sometimes could be messaging that goes out about how the other side of the pole is a misfit. It's a misfit. I mean, if somebody is like morally deficient and a misfit, and you already didn't want to listen to them anyway, now you have this kind of moral justification that you don't have to listen to the other side of the pole. Mm -hmm. You might even get the messages that listening to the other side of the pole is going to contaminate you. Learning about someone else's perspective is going to taint you. It's going to make you impure as if you are pure currently. Have you seen that? Have you seen that? One poll might lift up the most uh, difficult representative to tolerate <laughs> of the other side. See, they're like this with kind of the most character representative. Again, primary sources matter. And so because our politics are polarized, our trauma and exhaustion and uncertainties claim for dichotomous thinking, black and white thinking to feel safe, we're quite stuck. Quite stuck right now, we're stuck. To become unstuck, to go from polarization from an intercultural standpoint, we have to move into what's called minimization. Some of y'all know about intercultural development inventory. But those of you who don't know, minimization doesn't mean like minimizing something that's a problem in this context. It means emphasizing what people have in common when they only see each other as enemies Enemies or opposites.
2: Could you
1: refer to that as a third space?
0: Some people do. Some people think of a transcendence or... Um, something that's not a pole but that's above it or outside of it. Some people do. I tend to have some, a little bit of hesitation because I don't think that it serves us to think of a third way that's kind of morally neutral. Because there are times when there are elements that are in those poles that we need to, with conviction, stand flat-footed and say, yeah, that's true. <laughs> or that's wrong. and so sometimes we can use a third way as to not um, to almost be esoteric and aloof like up here the difficulty is in discernment Uh, we don't have discernment to figure out things that are obviously bad and obviously good anybody can do that you don't need spiritual discernment to figure out something that's obviously bad and obviously good right discernment is for the ugliness for, the, for, for things that are difficult, for the challenges of life, when you don't have any pretty options. That's what discernment is for. I don't use the discernment. If I'm talking to my kids, they're, they're not using discernment when they decide whether they want chocolate cake or Brussels sprouts. They're like, clearly. <laughs> for dessert, they're like, clearly. Clearly, that's the choice, right? But our discernment, our spiritual discernment, is used when the choices are ugly, when the choices are hard when they're thorny. And that is our cultural reality because of the fall. Our choices are thorny. The garden has thorns and thistles in it. Sometimes we make choices like it's super easy, and I'm like, that actually, it didn't feel so easy. There should be some, a little bit more tension sometimes in the choices that we make, if our eyes are truly open. So we have to teach people the skills to see what we share in common and, and have shared humanity in order to turn down the temperature on polarization. In order to turn down the temperature. Now, we don't live in minimization because we don't want to deny the complexities of people's realities, their stories, their differences. But we are so polarized as a nation, as a people, as a group, even amongst Christians, so polarized, even amongst believers, that we have to be reunited around our reconciling identity. What is it that unites us? what is it that becomes the apologetic distinction of Christians and it's their capacity well this is what scripture says, it's their capacity to love each other not ignoring our differences but with our differences that's that's going to be our distinction that's when scripture says people will go yeesh, who is their God? Who is their God? Good. So it'll be important <coughs> to us to think about what do we have in common and communicate that out. With a strong foundation of commonality, then, then we can appreciate differences and aren't freaked out by them. The Apostle Paul offers some wonderful lessons that I want to lay out to you all today, if you don't mind. You wanna play along? Thank you. Um, Some wonderful lessons that I think can be helpful for us as we think about connecting with people across differences in light of all of this polarization. What do we do with this? So the apostle Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. Gentiles. Is the apostle Paul Gentile? No. Nope. Keepers, how did he get that job? <laughs> I have empathy with Paul because I find myself sometimes in spaces where I'm like, one of us is not like the others, and and a lot of times it's me. <laughs> like what's going on Jesus um, the apostle Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles to the Gentiles and Paul connects with people outside of his community all the time this is his ministry this is his witness as a matter of fact it's the people that are in his community they gotta be with him often <laughs> right polarization is this judgmental way of seeing the world and by that I don't mean like in a judgmental like snooty or elitist way but the way that we look at differences is that we we're, we're, we're putting them always against each other and creating an us in them. The brain is always grouping. We might think to ourselves this is how you do Christian teaching. This is how it must be done. And that becomes one group one system, one strategy. We create an us-in-them model, and then we critically categorize the pieces of them. Sometimes, as we're functioning in polarization, we might even over-critique ourselves. So now that polarization makes us the standard of normalcy, but sometimes our polarization causes us to have a deep sense of shame about the group that we're associated with. We call that polarization reversal in intercultural language. But I think in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 17, starting at verse 16-34, we see a fascinating example of Christianly pedagogy that I think is amazing. It's breathtaking. And I think it has something to say for our polarized moment. So Paul at, Paul before the Grecians, In Athens, these are the words from Scripture, starting at verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Like the internet, y'all. Like the internet. (laughs) Like TikTok. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. You know, somebody always got something to say. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? They did trust him. <laughs> What's he talking about? Others remark, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Polarized statement. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. This is fascinating. Because these are a group of unbelievers, by the standards of unbelievers, a group of pagans for sure, who give him the floor to explain what he really means. I wonder if Christians are giving other Christians the floor to explain what they really mean. Look at the power of common grace in this text. You are bringing, then they tell the truth, you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. They leaned in. These are the Christians that leaned in. These are the pagans. <laughs> that leaned in. You should think about that. These are the pagans that leaned in. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. So learning for the sake of learning. This kind of, in some cases, classic learning model of just expanding for the sake of expanding. Pontificating to pontificate. And Paul then stood up in the meeting and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious. You have values, you have convictions, you have things that you care about, you have a way of life that has been taught to you and that you teach to others. These things matter to you, they govern your practices. You're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. Because I entrusted myself to God so I could actually learn and explore about other people. I didn't have to run and hide. I could actually walk around and learn. And as I walked around and learned, I wasn't learning just to debate you and prove myself right. I was learning to understand and find connection. And aha! Because we have shared humanity, I think I found a connection. This altar, with an ascription to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And you admit it, because you named it to the unknown God. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Leaning in by faith. Exploring. Exploring without fear, by faith, driven to understand and connect, teaching and learning for the sake of love, finding a commonality and connection point to reduce polarization, and then, then earning the platform to speak. That's what the Apostle Paul just did. So now I'm going to proclaim something to you. And proclaim he does. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. I got news for you. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Standing on the rock that represented paganism, he says, This is wrong. And verse twenty five, and he is not served by human hands, and he is and he is needed and as if he needed anything. God is self sufficient. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. That includes y'all. This God has something to say to people who don't believe this God. Verse 26 From one man he made all the nations that should inhabit the earth, the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their <coughs> lands. God did that. Whereas the pagan belief is that there are certain groups that are superior to other people, that their cultural identity makes them mini-gods. White supremacy is an expression of paganism in America. Did you know that? It's a pagan religion. It's a parasite that's attached itself to even Christianity parades itself around, looking pious while reinforcing social caste systems. But Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, there's not a human hierarchy. There's not one group better than another group. Because the truth is, we all got the same granddaddy and grandmama. That's what he says. And that this God has marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. So this whole culture thing, these different kinds of people with beliefs spread out all around the world that we learn from and we learn about ourselves and understand, that's God's doing. That's God's business. So that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he's not far from anyone. And because God is not far from anyone, we don't bring God to anyone. God is already there. We just say, you see? See God working? For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring because I've been listening to you enough to look for the commonality, not for our differences, but for the commonalities that I can appreciate. Because I'm trying to develop and grow trust, and I'm trying to turn down the polarization so that you would hear me, so that I can earn this platform and then speak to you. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Can't make a God in our own image. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He gets to the main idea, the agenda of the teaching, Jesus. 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 And they had all kinds of feelings about this when they heard this. They had all kinds of feelings. As people will. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. And some of the people became followers of Paul, and they believed. That happens. Sometimes people get it. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Oropagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others, a number of others. That big rock that they stood on top of, that figure from Greek mythology, it was a rocky hill below the Pantheon, the large pagan temple whose ruins had become the symbol of Athens during that day. Imagine teaching, teaching in the center of paganism. Well, that's what Paul did. That is what he did. Taught in the center of it and did not run from the realities of that day, but used it. Used it to proclaim the truth. God's grace and God's common grace is amazing. Even God's common grace. And when we hear stories like this and we see the expertise of teaching from the Apostle Paul, I hope that it turns down some of our fear. That even in the conditions of paganism and polarization, even in the conditions of nationalism and idolatry, even under these conditions, we can seek to find our shared humanity, tell the old truth and earn the platform to do it. And because we don't measure our success by guaranteed outcomes but by faithfulness to the means, some people will get it and some people won't. It's really not our business. Remember how, Kelsey, you talked about uh, that fear of you wanting to be liked by the students? Some of them are going to love you. Like I can guarantee this. Some of them That's their business. That's their business. When we are able to learn that the ultimate teacher, the ultimate teacher is Christ, <coughs> it can free us up to turn down some of that fear, some of that anxiety that controls us some of that fear that's governing us that we haven't even named yet. We can entrust ourselves to Christ. We don't have to fear what's happening in the moment. We can mine it for resources to be used as a catalyst, as stepping stones to earn the trust to say what is true. Thank you.